right, welcome back to Building a Fighter. My name is Dr. Austin Shane, sports chiropractor in Scottsdale, Arizona. With me, as always, I have Alex Friedman, badass strength coach in Denver, Colorado. Today, we're going to progress with our Wrestling with Biomechanics series. And today, we're going to be focusing on leg riding. So whether you want to call them spurs, you want to call them boots, you want to call them legs, whatever it may be, what's going to take you to the next level? with our leg riding and actually breaking down the biomechanics of the position. So Alex, do you ride legs? Yes. Yes, I do. Um, I think you need to have that tool set within your capability. Um, especially if you're grappling jujitsu, regardless, I mean, like taking the back is a fundamental position, right? You need to be able to do that, especially again, if you're coming up through folk style wrestling, I think that's a necessary skill. Not that it has to be your preferred skill. It has to be your best ride, but it has to be something that you understand how to get into, how to get out of, um, primarily how to get out of if you don't want to focus on it, but it can be a super lethal weapon with a crossbody ride or which is flattening somebody out, throwing both hooks in. Um, so yeah, I think that's uh, it's a necessary skill. Do you have to prefer it? No, but I do because I, I don't know. I think <laughs> I, I have a lot of success doing it and then there's a lot of directions to, to go from there, whether you're turning somebody in folk style, whether you're just trying to maintain back control in jujitsu, um, there's just so many options that it's, it, I think it's more limiting to not use them than to use them. Well, I love, I personally, if you've seen me wrestle, I'm a legger. Everybody knows I'm a legger. Um, it, when I wrestle, I use my legs to bundle people up. I just, I think about wrestling almost like a puzzle right? All I'm trying, I'm, I'm setting traps with my legs. I'm trying to bundle up one foot, the other foot, maybe both feet, locking down the hips. And that's what allows me to then attack the upper body and go after my different turns. Or I can turn them with my legs and I'm just doing the exact opposite. Once I have a leg in, I'm playing with the hands, getting them to focus up top. And then I do a quick step over or something like that, or like hip switch. And that's yeah. going to bring their hips over in a scorpion position and I can bundle the head. Yeah. But I, I like legs as setting traps, and that opens up the rest of my offense. No, I think that's that in itself is a huge principle, whether you're using legs or not, is to, um, and I think this this goes back to Dave Malachek, our head coach at UW Lacrosse, uh, when we're wrestling. It's like you have to wrestle with every part of your body, from your toes to your hands. Like if you're not setting something up with your feet or using them to drive or constantly controlling with your lower body and trying to manipulate with your upper body, you're falling behind. So you have to wrestle constantly with your whole body and the legs is one great way to do that. And that's actually a lot of the ways that I enter um, and get the hooks in is by using leg setups and scooping heels and just creating space while I'm hand fighting or while I'm threatening a submission that, that cat and mouse game of like, am I going to submit you or is this just a fake submission? Like that's uh that's a huge game, both in jujitsu and in wrestling. You know, if you're going to, if you're going to threaten something uh, just to set up something else, that's a, that's a next level technique for sure. And then thinking about like bringing the biomechanics in and starting to break down the biomechanics of legs. There's really, depending on if you're a jujitsu player or if you're a wrestler, there's two main thoughts, right? For wrestlers, it's a lot more common to be a crossbody rider or just a single leg in. Mm -hmm. And then for jujitsu, you're typically looking to try to get both hooks in or both legs in to try to take the back. And the reason for this is to eliminate the space for their hips to shrimp out just because they don't care about once you're jujitsu, you don't care about being on your back. You can, you can pivot out and do these different things. And you score points in jujitsu for getting both hooks in. Um, Oh, that's something I, I don't even know that. Damn. If you do, yeah, if you're uh, rolling competitively, you get points for both hooks in, even though 
from uh, what I've gotten, the consensus is double legs in is not the most controlling position, not the best for subbing people, but that's where you get points and that's where you get some control. Yeah. And I want to get into that further down the road on what I prefer one versus two. Um, But thinking about those different positions, right? If we talk just strictly wrestling, when, when we have one leg in, we're going for a crossbody ride that allows us to lock the spine into a torsional force, right? So if I attack the leg, I straighten out his bottom leg, say I have my right leg in and I grapevine that boom, that hip is locked. And then I go after that left side shoulder. So say I'm doing like, I'm setting up like a guillotine in wrestling or almost like for, for the jiu-jitsu people out there, like you're setting up like a twister um, that locks the spine into that plane of movement. The spine doesn't like torsion. If you didn't know, it, it's not a big fan of force rotation. That's when a lot of injuries occur. So it ipso facto the twister. Um, but what I can do is if I pressure up on the shoulder and I pressure down on the hip, that locks the spine in place. And then immediately what I, what I have at my disposal is a flattened out body. It's one of the best things I can do to lock down that opponent's options. So if I'm playing chess, I just took out his rooks and I took out his knights. All he's got left in his queens, king and his pawns. That's it. No, oh, yeah. And I think strategically, just like you're saying, locking down those positions and then forcing them into extension. Um, like you said, when you're trying to pressure into the shoulder and extend the back or extend the hips, um, typically when you're in the turtle or on the bottom, you want to stay tight like a ball, right? I mean, that's to limit openings, to maintain inside position and hand control. Um, but with this, with getting the legs in and getting all the way to your cross body ride and then almost pressuring diagonally across the body where you lock a hip in and then you're pressuring up into the opposite shoulder, you're forcing extension of the hips, extension of the low back. And then that is a really hard position to resist from the bottom guy because you have a large amount of force working on a relatively weak part of the body, right? Which the low back is not the strongest part of the body. So if you force that into extension and with a huge um, amount of pressure, then the only option is to, you know, flatten out or give something else up. Right. And then that's where you, as the top guy with the hook in with the cross body ride, just, you know, takes, take what's given. Well, or, and that's where, like, if I try to, what, what a lot of people did to me is when I have one leg in, I'm going after that, that extension or torsional force. It's Mm -hmm. a combo of both. They sit out. And that's what then allows me to open up the rest of my offense because mm-hmm. they played right into my trap where they come into my hips and they're not in a solid structure anymore. They're not in that quadruped position. And then because of that, that sets up the rest of my offense. I go after the head. I go after the arm. I go after these different turns that put people on their backs and I get points or yeah, pants. Ab- yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's hugely important to, f- to force somebody's hand into it. But also, I mean, if we're t- going to take a step back from the cross body ride, at times I like Riding with two just hooks in, not all the way grapevine. So, right, just two hooks in mm-hmm. to the body. Like high thigh. Yeah, high thigh type of things. You can get so much force on that, especially if you're under the armpits. You can get so oh, yeah. much force to flatten people out, which, again, is really useful in folk style wrestling. Uh, jiu-jitsu, guys are probably M- just MMA, ground yeah. and pound. Oh, 100%. I mean, that's how you, again, lock somebody both sides of the hips in, force the extension low back. That's not really torsional force anymore. Um it's more of a sheer force, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And so we're just pushing their hips to the ground and they flatten them out. And then you're just either ground and pounding or attacking different turns. Um, I like just having those, what I would call spurs in, um, where we're not going all the way through the ankle. Um, I think that would lock you in too much on both sides, but um, you can create a lot of pressure 
going forward with that type of movement. Um, and then branching more off the biomechanics, I think a huge um, area of weakness or a huge area to focus on is just hip adduction. Like how important is that in every single grappling position ever? And, and how much do we train it? Austin, do you think? Well, dude, it's one of those things that like, I constantly see is are undertrained in our athletes. It's, it's one of those things uh, until I've started working with some people, they've never done Copenhagen's before ever, even though that's one of the, like I personally, as a wrestler, I think I did Copenhagen's three or four times in my career, which makes no sense now with how, how much I know that it helps with knee pain and my laundry list of knee issues on both sides. But like, <laughs> but like adduction, a deduction is one of the best things we can do to increase our leg riding capabilities and increase our, uh, even, even if you're playing guard, increase our squeeze with most of our stuff. Cause AD, adduction is going to be when we bring our knee towards midline, right? Straight leg, bring it towards midline. That's think about the being able to throw a leg in and control that hip and actually put pressure into the spine. Think about being able to, if you have two hooks in squeeze the hips in a way that allows you to then posture up and throw strikes. All of these different positions start with your adductors and your adductor complex. 100%, man. And I, I'm a big fan of training it knees bent as well as like straight. Um, right now, I'm getting into a little bit of a, you know, um, specialty type of exercises if we go along our general specific type of force velocity curve. But, you know, we start with the Copenhagen planks with the leg straight, and then we add a little knee bend to that or what I like to do is you take those jam balls, those ones that are filled with sand, mm -hmm. right? They have some give to them, there's some squish. Um, you can have an athlete, you know, stand up in like a, I don't know, a, like a sissy squat position or like with the knees pretty close together and just smash the ball, right? That's one way to train it. And then the other way that I've trained it that, you know, translates probably the most specifically to grappling, wrestling, MMA is uh, you get in a low bear position. So your hands are on the ground, knees are slightly off the ground, and you put that jelly ball or that sand uh, jam ball in between the knees and you hold the low bear, forcing co-contraction between the core and the adductors. So, and then you just max out, squeeze the ball. Um, and you hold that for a duration, which trains the same um, type of muscle contraction, which is an isometric durational contraction, right? Because you're not going to sub anybody by squeezing them with your knees, but you're going <laughs> to be able to hold position and control that through a long durational squeeze. So um, training that adduction, you, know, you said prevents knee pain, gives you a lot of strength when otherwise you wouldn't have thought about it, but it's just going off like technically how many times have your coaches told you to squeeze with the knees and hold position there? I mean, I think it only makes sense that we train to be strong there and then we train to not fatigue. You're going to get a lot of practice at it when you wrestle and you ride legs or you grapple, but um, hitting it positionally specific in a little more controlled setting is huge. Well, and for my guys, I train adductors how I train grip strength because I see them as one and the same. It's mm -hmm. just grip strength of the legs. Your adductors yeah. are your grippers. So for them, it's long isometric contraction bouts. And then we can get these different concentric, eccentric movements. But for the most part, it's just you want to decrease the fatigability of muscle. So by doing that, we just need to prolong the contraction longer and longer. And that's going to allow them to fatigue at a lower rate. Yeah, I think that's that's spot on. Um, more biomechanics of, of, of throwing hooks in and riding hooks. I mean, I think we've hit on it before. Um, hip internal and external rotation are just going to be huge as far as mobility wise to accomplish <laughs> these positions, to maintain the position, to get a hook in. Um, 
if you don't have that ability to um, open up from the hip or, you know, swing your heel in from the side while you're pushing your knee out, that's hip external rotation. If you don't have that ability to, to get that in a tight space, or if I just use my forearm to bump the elbow forward a little bit and my opponent's in crab position, I bump the elbow forward a little bit. If I can't swing my hook in my heel to get into that small gap, then there's a, there's a hole in my game or there's a, a space where I could get better. So and that's exclusively mobility, right? The ability to control that within yourself. Uh, very seldom are you going to try and get there from a passive range of motion. So you have to be actively able to externally rotate your hip very far. If you're getting passively pushed into that far of external <laughs> rotation, man, you're you're not in for a good match. That's a yeah, that's <laughs> literally you. <heel. laughs> but um, so when we throw in, so Alex is 100 right. But how how can we fix it, right? How do we fix our rotation deficits and how do we check it? So this is where in our building a fighter screen that we do our hip switch test and being able to check the internal versus external external on each side and seeing, Hey, does it, is it a symmetrical from left to right? And B, is it within a actual range, a good range of motion where I have access to be able to express the rotation that I need? So we do that hip switch test. We see that, Hey, you're a little bit deficient in internal rotation. We could actually use that test again. And if you don't know what a hip switch is, we, we have videos on my, my Warrior Sports Wellness Instagram as well as we'll throw some on Building a Fighter Instagram. Um, and we can then use that as a mobility work or mobility exercise to focus on that position, try to increase that range of motion, try to force our way into internal rotation. Maybe we do an isometric contraction at a, we'll say, a more neurologically dense position. So we're forcing excess internal rotation, and then we have them hold that contraction. So I, what's called a 90-90 liftoff from the same position. And that's then going to build into our internal rotation, allow you to control the movement more. So it's one of those things where our test can then become our work. And then our work is going to tr- have direct transference into our sport. And we always want to have that little cascade going. Through. Right. And, and for the people out there, can you explain how to perform correctly a 90-90 liftoff? For sure. Yep. So you're going to be in that hip switch position. So your front leg is going to be bent to 90 degrees of hip and knee. That's going to be external rotation, your front leg. And then your back leg is going to be at 90 degrees of hip and knee or uh, flexion as well. That's going to be the internal rotation leg. So if you're, if you're sitting there thinking, think about like a, like a ninja star that your front leg is going to be that, that hook, that J hook. And then your back leg is going to be the one to the right, that J hook right there or an L. And then from there, what you do for the liftoff is you try to stay as upright as possible with your trunk, forcing that air into the trunk. So you're not cheating through the lumbar spine to get internal rotation, which is a extremely, extremely, extremely common problem. And then while you're in that good trunk positioning, you drive your knee into the ground, lifting off your heel and, or at least trying to, most people can't the first time they do it and trying to force that contraction and you'll feel the burn. You'll feel that loading of the hip tissue. And then you hold that for three to four seconds. You drop it back down and you do that for sets of four to five reps. No, I think that that's, that's beautiful. And that's exactly what you said was what I was going to highlight the hip or the lumbar extension and like arching your back or breaking your, um, your good spinal posture, like sitting up straight, breaking that position allows you to do this super easily. 
right? So yep. if you're able to do this without struggle or you have it even don't have to give it a second thought, then maybe we need to reassess your posture as you're going. Try and keep again, inhale your inhale your breath down into your stomach, hold your posture, and then try and do it without my uh manipulating your spine. But um where I was going with that is that a lot of people, I think, in the grappling world and wrestling, and this was me for a long time, think that we get our hip mobility and think that we get our ability to achieve these positions simply by performing at the sport, simply by doing a wrestling practice. I'm increasing my mobility in my hips. And that I think is the cure all for people who think like, I'm more, I'm mobile enough because I can do it 30 minutes into the practice. And, and while that may be true, while you may loosen this up and, and heat up the tissue and be more mobile, more flexible because of that, what you're actually doing is forcing yourself into extreme ranges of motion, which send a negative feedback through your nervous system that says, we don't like that. We're not accustomed to that. We need to tighten up and stop that from happening in a forced, stressful position. Because if you're achieving those positions exclusively in a stressful situation or exclusively when you're not prepared for them, then your body's going to have an adverse reaction and says, we need to protect against that and tighten up. So that in itself is not the cure or the end all be all. That may be a, a factor of times that we can open up those ranges of motion and get there. But what's more effective is either before or immediately after practice, we do these type of exercises that Austin is talking about, like our neuromuscular facilitation and hold those positions and find those range of motions and get your body comfortable with them and say, this is something we can readily achieve. Um, And it's more in, for lack of a better sense, normalize your body to these ranges of motion. hundred percent. It's, it's the same concept that I tell people about a, a broad jump, if you will. Typically, a broad jump, the problem for you getting further isn't that you can't generate the power to get there. It's that your brain doesn't realize that it can stop itself. And the brain's number one function is that to not hurt itself, right? That's the number one function of the brain. So in order for it to protect itself, it's not going to let you produce the force to go further. If you watch a lot of broad jumps, people can't get terminal hip extension. And it's because it doesn't trust itself. The brain doesn't trust itself to stop itself when we get that that far. The same concept applies into this hip mobility setting. Your brain doesn't trust that it'll be able to control that range of motion that's going to be put into in these extreme mobility positions of wrestling. So guess what? It's going to lock down the hip and then cheat through the spine because it knows the spine is extremely robust and that the likelihood of that getting further, like really bad damage or progressive damage isn't as hot. So it knows that it can trust the spine more than it can trust the hip as a more stable joint compared to the more mobile joint of the hip. So it locks down the hip and forces you to cheat through the spine. So that's hundred percent correct. Yeah. 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 But with, with that entire concept, right. It's, that's why we got to, I prefer to do mobility work on the front end before practice because the entire, what's the entire goal of mobility work. What I tell people is the goal of mobility work is to make your brain realize that it can get to certain positions. It's not about increasing range of motion. It's about making your brain realize that it's comfortable and confident in that range of motion. I don't need you to get excessive hip external rotation. I need your brain to realize that, Hey, natural and normal and solid range of hip external rotation is safe and effective. And I'm not going to hurt myself when I'm in there. That's the point of mobility work to me. So if we can train that on the front end, that's going to give us a higher likelihood of success during skill work and during practice and allow us to access those range of motion because your brain already has that preconceived notion of, Hey, I just got here 30 minutes prior. 
this is safe and this is effective. Yeah. And I think that's, that's hundred percent right for, you know, 80, 90% of people. I think there are still a small percent of the people that are, have like never stretched before and super tight. And you run into some of these athletes in strength, power sports, um, and some even in grappling that you know, tell them to touch their toes and, and then their knees almost bend to like 15 degrees <laughs> yeah. in flexion. Right. So in that case, we need to work on more structural type of stretching mobility, which, which is just, you know, essentially the long game, because uh, yep. that's going to take a lot of time and a lot of effort to create the the structural pliability and elasticity of, of the muscle tissue. But um, but again, that's not majority of the people. And I don't think if you're, if you're rolling jujitsu at a high level or for a long time, that's not probably not going to be your case. So um, that's just one other type of stretching. Did you have, Austin, did you have any other uh, specific kind of local biomechanical aspects to touch on before we move on into, you know, training or training both in a physical sense, but then also strategically and tactically? Yeah, no, uh, the only thing that I want to talk about is the best leg riders from a biomechanic standpoint are able to differentiate between the hip and the spine. We've talked about it a little bit, but if you watch... A perfect MMA example is if you watch Khabib and what he's able to do while bundling your legs in different positions, and then also being able to strike in those positions, that's textbook what we've talked about before with that generating IAP and that proximal stability equals distal mobility. He's able to use his legs to the fullest expression possible because he's so fucking good at expanding through the trunk and being able to stabilize his core that then he can posture up. He can do all these different things. He can do it. Our coaches like bench press the face and then come up and throw his strikes. But the only way that he's able to keep people there and keep people in that bundled position or that scorpion position is that center point, the trunk that's between the arms and the legs is so fucking stable that the legs can lock everything in because they have a really stable surface to pull off of and to stabilize from which if the adductor that we've talked about, that squeeze, that gripper of the legs, that attaches to the pelvis, which has a direct correlation with the trunk strength, right? And then the upper body, most of the, all of those muscles need a stable surface to pull off of. And if you're excurting through the rib cage and going up and down, that doesn't happen. So he's really, really good from rib to pelvis. And if you watch him ride legs or bundle legs or do his Dagestani rides, that's what separates him from good to absolutely the best in the world at what he does is his proximal stability. And then that allows free expression of the upper and lower body. So the same thing applies to leg riding and bringing it back from the ground and pound side of leg riding and MMA to wrestling. If you watch the best leg riders in the world, they're able to maintain trunk stability while they're bundling you with their legs. They're fishtailing in and out, going after cross legs, going after their whips, all these different things, but they're able to control the trunk and then make the legs move separately. And that's what makes them fantastic because that presents a different challenge for their opponent versus the entire body moving in one cohesive unit. As soon as the entire body moves the same movement, instead of being able to differentiate, then it's a lot less problem for the guy on bottom because the guy on bottom knows, hey, if the whole body's moving one way, all I got to do is probably move the other way or get out of his way and then I can get out. And which is what I did when I was on bottom. So the best thing you can do is Obviously, like hip hinging, all those different things are great, but building up that stable trunk opens up a world of possibilities as a leg rider to progress in the future. Yeah. And, and to clarify for um, 
some of the the ingrained cultural wrestlers and jujitsu players building up that trunk stability does not look like v-ups after practice it's <laughs> yeah, not please don't fucking do sit-ups it's not sit-ups it's not v-ups it's not you know side bends with a dumbbell um that's that has to do with a lot of the same type of training we're talking about isometric and expansive contraction breaths um which you know is not the most sexy thing but it's the most applicable in the most real world because we can teach this concept at the same time as training it with our breath and with our, our our contractions so um yeah just be aware of of how that mechanism works and it's not in a concentric or a, a active flexion mechanism in the core because yes having a strong core is very important and it's you know one of the biggest aspects of grappling but it's not a strong core as in i can sit up with 100 pounds you know yeah your your six packs means nothing to me yeah. it's can you stabilize your spine and then be allow all of your arms and legs to move but a, a, a real world application for what we were just talking about. I like to have my athletes as, as much as I can. I try to get them to do it after every practice, but it doesn't happen all the time is just sit on the wall and breathe with their feet up elevated on the wall for two to three minutes after practice. It accomplishes the goal of making sure the brain recognizes what proper trunk stability is, but it also decreases the, uh, the ramping of practice and it drops the heart rate to a point where, Hey, you should walk out of practice at the same heart rate you walked into practice. And the breathing is a good, that forced focused breathing is a good way to kill two birds with one stone. Yeah. And going, I guess, going straight into our strength conditioning or our um, physical training for, you know, kind of, or I wouldn't say for leg riding, but geared towards or to assist with our leg riding. Um, that core and structural stability is, is going to be a huge part where we're, you know, breathing after practice, or if we're starting an SNC session, we could be holding a low bear, holding planks done correctly, um, side planks, Copenhagen's, um, things that force the isometric contraction of the core and then almost can co-contract with the the adductors you know like like the copenhagens or like the bear position with the adductor squeeze um those type of positions are going to be you know money for building stability the best way and and this is a dual-edged sword for me um the best way to build that core stability through the breath is going to be you know powerlifting or lifting heavy objects mm-hmm. To an extent, because if we make or if we try and make our grapplers power lifters, then we're by nature going to reduce their hip mobility, right? You know, power lifters are, can move really heavy loads because they're super stable. And part of being super stable is limiting mobility. Um, mm-hmm. That's why you wear the, the single ply, triple ply type of um, rubber suits that they do. But powerlifting, you know, with a trap bar deadlift um, being a main one. I like front squats. Um and then just for other aspects of stability in the trunk while we're actively moving with the hip, um, those are good ones. As far as accessory movements, things that I think of a lot of times are like a rotational lunge. So if we're holding a, a goblet position with a, a kettlebell or a dumbbell, we're going to keep our feet or our foot facing forward, and then we're going to step the other foot back into the side or back and diagonally to where we're lunging at a, at a 90 degree angle. So I think of it this way, if I'm standing on a clock and my feet are both at 12, I'm taking one foot and stepping it back and over to three o'clock. And then I'm bending into that foot at three o'clock. So I'm almost creating an, a forced external rotation of the hips while I have to maintain the posture of the lunge. And I'm taking my chest and rotating it over my um, over my lunging knee as well. So that rotational lunge, I think is huge for a lot of hip mobility and being able to 
um, open up and demonstrate strength and stability from that position. So I like that. I like a lot of different things um, as far as hip mobility while trunk stability. I think as a strength and conditioning society, we should move a little bit more away from the powerlifting, a little bit more out of the compound and more into the um, more mobile or more kind of fluid positions that also require strength. So, yeah, no. And then I like, I personally like getting just into the frontal plane as best I can. Right. Cause that's yeah. going to increase the co-contraction from the medial aspect or the inside of the leg to the lateral aspect or the outside of the leg. Cause we know uh, when, when I put somebody on the table for the most part, the adductor is taught, right? The adductor is one of the muscles that's going to have a bunch of trigger points laden through it. Or if you don't like the word trigger point, whatever the fuck you want to call it, neurologic expression of tension. Um, <laughs> That's trigger points is like a, sh- a fucking shit on word recently. Um, so whatever you want to call it, there's a bunch of tension through the adductor, right? Because the adductor also becomes a hip flexor once you get past 90 degrees. Mm-hmm. So when you get to the bottom end of a squat, it's actually a hip flexor. So people that bottom out or get like a butt wink in a squat, a lot of the times it's actually adductor tension that's causing it. So what I want to do is I want to try to even out inside of the leg to outside of the legs best I can. So this is where I actually get into a whole bunch of my DNS position and get into uh, like correctives as part of their warm up. So I can do an oblique sit, which is knee, knee driving into the ground, trying to force trunk stability and then lifting the hip through the knee. So you're making a proximal uh, punctum fixum, if you will, or like a pivot point. And then from there we drive up and that loads the outside of the hip, but also centrates the joint, which decreases the tension on the inside of the hip. So it's forcing functional centration or that what we've talked about in the past, where it's going to be the most surface area possible in the hip joint. Um, I also just talking about getting out of the frontal plane for trunk stability for leg riders. I think suitcase carries are one of the best fucking things you can do because instead of doing a straight up farmer's carry where you got it on both sides, suitcase carry is just going to be on that one side and you're forced to not laterally bend one way or the other or hip shift one way or the other, which is going to pay dividends. And Hey, say you, you got a leg in on somebody, they're trying to buck you off. Hey, I need to stabilize my trunk in a position of the frontal plane. That's, that's essentially what's going on. If they're trying to buck you off, you stabilize that leg and stabilize that trunk. That's going to pay dividends in your wrestling or into your grappling practice. So that's fantastic. Uh, A fantastic way to train what we're talking about. And then finally, like Alex is saying, like, I really like regressing. It's not even a regression. It's more of a lateralization of a trap bar deadlift where we go from a, uh, a bipedal or a double legged trap bar deadlift to go into like a B stance or a kickstand. Because that forces me to, that forces a little bit more because it's that split stance or that off, that offset loading that forces them to control inside of the leg to the outside of the leg to maintain the knee position. And if you can force them to do that, that's going to increase hip activation as well as decrease the tension on the adductor if they're doing it correctly. Right. And I was thinking too, rear foot elevated split squat when you were saying that stuff, just, just training a lot more unilaterally and forcing, um, stabilization of the knee and then using that mobility in a, in a strength sense. So having the capability to internally, externally rotate and move, but forcing your body to stabilize and localize, um, enough contraction to where we can limit or we can squeeze. Cause that's what you're going to do when you put the legs in, we need the mobility to get there, but then we need to be able to lock it in and have that strength and stability to be there. So, mm-hmm. um, again, single leg stuff. Uh, I went over rotation lunge, lateral lunge, like Austin was talking about, um, stagger stance, anything. Um, 
But as you're saying that too, I, I, I was almost looking at, almost thinking of the importance of abduction, hip abduction um, mm-hmm. in that position as well. Because if we're, you know, either trying to open somebody up or we have a spur in with our cross body ride. So we have one leg all the way in and then we're hooking the opposite side ankle with our ankle. Um, that's going to be almost abduction pulling it out that way. So being able to accomplish that in a squat, being able to accomplish that with our hip switches, um, the ability for the the hip socket to to move as dynamically as it does and be able to abduct, adduct, rotate, uh, flex, extend, really maximizing those qualities in a um, kind of, I don't want to say dynamic because that's a SNC type of word, but in a um, strong and mobile way, is going to be your key to controlling the hips. Well, it goes back, dude, it goes back to what, we, what I was talking about, the broad jumps, right? It, anytime that you find that one movement is extremely important, you also have to train the antagonist just as much, right? So if we're training AD, adduction, the only way the brain can make sure that it's safe and can stop a movement is if we're also training abduction as best as we can too, because abduction is going to be the antagonist that stops that movement. So it needs to be comfortable in that position needs to be comfortable in these different loading patterns. And then once you start, if obviously it doesn't have to be a one-to-one ratio, but you need your brain to realize, Hey, I can stop a deduction if I have to. And what can I use to stop it? Hey, that, that just means we got to strengthen up those AB ductors or the opposite movement in order to control the position as best as we can. And that goes into FRC is one of the best out there that does that, or they, that's their pails and rails system. Yeah. I mean, and I like teaching that just in our basic barbell lifts or our basic type of squatting patterns, hinging patterns, as far as being able to corkscrew your feet in the ground, being able to control like where your knee goes. Up. I, I like saying going over the second toe, um, but just creating an awareness within your athlete of like, oh, there's actually something to pay attention to and attention to create here. Like, yes, there absolutely is. So, <laughs> um, so long story short, train, train it all, train everything in your hip um, and don't suck. Awesome. <laughs> How do you like to ride legs? All right. So here, here's my, my two cents on this, just cause I've rode legs a little bit. Um, I personally, yeah, a little bit. Uh, I personally really, really, really like a cross body because it opens up my degrees of freedom. And, and this, this is including jujitsu into this and, and me and yeah. Santino have had a bunch of talks on this and, and why the two legged works for MMA, all these different things. But when I think about leg riding, it's just like how I think about it's, it's the same progressive structure as I think about like a lift, right? The, the biggest bang for your buck and the, the coolest shit is able to be done with the most degrees of freedom. If I can open up a degree of freedom, ipso facto, not having two legs in versus one leg in, that opens up me to use three appendages or three extremities versus two extremities. If all I do is lock down the hips, that takes away a lot of different movements that I can do if I only have one leg in. Then I can, if I have one leg in, I can attack the ankle. I can go after a double if I so choose. I can use it to step up and power half. I can use it to propel myself forward and do that twister or that guillotine. But if I only lock in, if I have both legs in, that locks my own hips. So that eliminates my ability to pr- produce force, knowing that our, our trunk and our, and our hips primarily are one of the best force producers of the body. If I have them locked in place in order to stop my opponent's hips, that why, why am I doing that? It eliminates my degrees of freedom, my ability to produce points, my ability to score, because all I can then use is my upper body. 
And uh, I don't know if you guys, you guys can't see me, but my upper body ain't that big. So, <laughs> so I ain't going to be using that. I, I, I am all ass. So I might as well use what I got. And if I can use my hips to then force somebody over the top and be able to move, then why, why am I using anything but that? So my two cents when it comes to leg riding in the wrestling setting, and this is just wrestling I'm talking about. If you can ride a deadly crossbody, that opens you up to an entire pathway of turns or control periods or control points, as opposed to if I'm riding double legs in that very, very, that's a very, very limiting position for me as the offensive person. Cause the end of the day, I'm, I'm on the mat to score points. I'm on the mat to turn you. I'm on the mat to dominate. And I don't think I can dominate you as well. If I lock both of my hips in place. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying. I think, um, you're absolutely right. But I also think there's a time and place for two legs. Like you're saying, like if I'm on top and I I'm feeling a little squirrely having one leg or a cross body ride in, and I want to throw that second hook in for more stability or to get a breakdown or to flatten somebody out quickly. Um, I think then that has a lot of usefulness as far as securing my position on top. Um, so if, if, you know, folks out wrestling, I want to break somebody down, I'll throw that second leg in just to get them down and then maybe take it out or maybe transition. Um, but like you said, I don't think that should be the home position. I don't think two legs in is the best default position, or if I'm in jujitsu, I'm throwing it in to score points, blah, blah, blah. I've just seen so many people and myself included when, when you try to become a double leg rider, whenever you try to do that, you fall off the top a whole bunch. You get, you get sh- mm-hmm. not shucked off. That's not the right word. You get like almost yeah, shimmied. Just shimmied. Sh- shimmied off the top because you think you're about to be in this super stable position and you forget that, Hey, I need to stay under the arms. Hey, I need to be loaded on the hips. People start riding that high thigh too much and then yeah. they get shimmied off the top. Well, again, yes. I think you need to be aware <laughs> of your, your center of mass and aware of your displacement, right? That's, I mean, that's one one but two things, I guess, branching off that staying on the armpits is, super huge to me i think double underhooks if you have your if you have your legs in as hooks double underhooks with your arms is so much more advantageous than than the seatbelt lock um and maybe i'm just too young in my jiu-jitsu life to understand the value of that but <laughs> for me control wise the double unders I, I i like a lot um and then if you're riding the high thigh you know, put one leg in for high thigh, especially in folk style wrestling. Like we used to ride that all the time in lacrosse. Mm-hmm. One leg in from the inside to the out, the high thigh. That's, you know, that's damning for that whole. You're controlling one leg, but you're controlling both hips through the pressure. Um, and exactly, and that's that's the point I was trying to make. With if you if you have one leg in, you can still control both hips. You just need to be a good leg rider to do that, where you can control if you're rotating well and you generate rotation, you yeah. can control both hips extremely easily through one leg. Yeah. Just with just using one leg. And then you got another leg to drive off. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like I was saying, I agree with your single leg ride. I think that's more advantageous and in jujitsu, it offers a lot more, you know, variability to roll. Like you're saying a lot more degrees of freedom, but it also keeps you away from like, um, I don't know the technical terms, like ankle locks. Like if you people all the time in jujitsu, like just crush your feet, if you cross them or crush your, your Uh double hooks when you have them in, um, that shit sucks. Uh, I wouldn't recommend that. So I've been getting caught in that once upon a time. Um, So that eliminates the risk there and you can almost like lock your feet or, or snake a leg with one foot in. If you're in a, like a side position where you get a breakdown and you're laying on the side fighting for a rear naked choke, whatever, you can lock your foot with one in one out 
and then you almost have a, a modified high thigh from the side. But yeah, that's a, I think a lot of misconceptions about having two legs in. I guess you're hitting very well. No, yeah. And then I can also present the counter argument since me and Santino had this argument 97 fucking times. Um, when you're in jujitsu and when you're in not a sport like wrestling where you're afraid to go to your back, the counterpoint for having one leg in is that they can scoot their hips out right away. So say I'm going for a twister or say I'm going for that I have one leg in. All he has to do is sit to his back and scoot his hips out and he breaks my lock and he's in a he's in a very, very advantageous position where I'm in a really weak half guard and he already has the corner on me where he can shrimp up, right? Or and he can reverse. So that's the counter argument. Um, and it's completely valid. But that comes into how much do you trust your lockdown that you have on one leg and how much are you able to grapevine the leg? Because what what I've seen and what what I've what I see as a coach as well as when I roll with people, if I have a, a good lockdown on that single leg, so I'm able to grapevine through and hook his ankle with a deep like a deep, deep leg in, then I'm able to eliminate them switching their hips and getting out. But yeah. as soon as I ride that super high thigh, that's when they can scoot their hips to the ground, cut the corner, and then get into that position where they can roll up and get to a single leg. Well, I, think that's, this is, I think that's a good point because that's maybe where you and me um, differentiate or where we, we separate our kind of methodologies or our, our overall thoughts on um, just wrestling and grappling in general. Because like my immediate thought when you said that, like with if you have one hook in and, and somebody shrimps their hips away, my immediate thought was be more active on top, follow them, stay with them. Right. And like, it may not be as energy efficient of practice as far as locking down the leg and holding them there. But like, if you're not wrestling actively or you're not pursuing the positions and you're letting them dictate that, then, you know, you're doing something wrong on top. You're not being active enough or, or attacking the position as much as you should. So for me, I feel a lot more free when I don't have that super deep hook in through the grapevine. Right. I, I feel like I can wrestle and be a lot more fluid and float from there better because I can follow and I can attack. And because that's when I think the scrambles get fun, right? When I can just, you know, either chase or, yeah. or lock down on a position. So I, I kind of save that grapevine for when I really need to hunker down. Um, but I also get tired a lot because I'm being very active in my position. So, right. And I'm the exact opposite. Once I have my deep leg in, like once uh, I call chilling. it, I, chilling. I, well, no, I call it like a double grapevine. Like once I have my deep leg in that opens up my whole offense because I do this weird shit that I don't even think it's legal in folk style where I like, I, I get a, a grapevine with one leg and then I fucking do another, like almost like an X lock. I cross my feet and then get another lock mm. with the outside leg. So I like, I just double lock in that leg and then I can still drive off the one foot. That allows me yeah. to then torque you over, do these different things, go after. And you can force it into extension when, and then therefore it's less useful. Exactly. So like, I am very like, I, I'm not even a jujitsu guy, but I'm very, very big on, Hey, I'm going to solidify this position before I go for a submission. I'm going to break your will to live with my leg on top, with my leg in on you before I just pound you and turn you. Well, I mean, yeah. And that would be traditionally the more, I don't know, apt logic, but like I said, I like, but to it's be, boring. You know, I, I like to, I like to float and then, and then sting, pull like a butterfly, sting like a bee. That's, it's, I don't know, not a hallmark of my position, but I think that's a, a more fun approach. And again, coming from my background, being a little more like athlete first, um, it's, it allows me to express a little more athleticism and then, and then crack down on a position, but for sure, that's, uh, that's the beauty of, of 
grappling and mixed martial arts is that there's so many different expressions and it's not that one's better than the other it's one's performed better than the other yeah it's the biggest thing and this is kind of be an ender for the leg riding but like the biggest thing is as a leg rider is like you need to find out a what works for your body and your style right me and alex were both we're both primarily leg riders and we do it completely different but both were (laughs) successful and b you got to find out how mobile you are (laughs) <laughs> like we talked like that that's one of the big things finding out what works for your body you got to find out because i can get into weird ass positions and still score because i am extremely mobile versus people with stiffer hips like like alex like he's able to get into powerful positions and control powerful rides but he doesn't want to have his legs grapevine all the way in because the mobility there's a mobility deficit there where he's not able to generate power from that extreme end range Like, like people with like long mobile legs, like I do that. So what works for you and how do you apply these concepts we're talking about? Adductor strength, frontal plane stability, leg strength, uh, mobility. How do you apply these different concepts into your game and elevate your game to the next level? Because that's what, that's what the podcast for. How can we Mm -hmm. break down? How can we break down leg riding? And then how, how can you use the biomechanical concepts to make your game better, better or your athletes game better? Yeah. And then exactly like you said, branching off that, like that's, that's the beauty of like, we're, we're opening up the door and giving the information, but that's when, that's why you have the beauty of a professor of a black belt or a coach, somebody that can apply that to you and your specific skill set. So that's, that's in my mind, a true coaching role is is to be able to maximize you and maximize your um, potential or how you can accomplish this. So, um, especially in such a uh, individualized sporting system as MMA or grappling or wrestling, jujitsu, all of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's no wrong answers in wrestling. There's just the wrong answer for the right time. Yeah, or there's better answers. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, that's what I got on leg riding. Any closing thoughts? Don't need good, your man. microphone. I'm good. I'm hungry. <laughs> all right, y'all. So please like, share, subscribe. Let us become friends with your friends. And the only way to do that is to tell people about it. So Please share if you can and get our name out there so we can talk to more cool people. Um, if you haven't already, please rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts. That would be fantastic. That boosts our SEO. And then that, again, allows us to talk to more people. And if you have any questions at all on leg riding uh, or anything we talked about in this episode or any episode at all, our contact information will be in the show notes. Shoot us an email, shoot us a Facebook message, shoot us an Instagram message. We will get back to you within the day. This is Dr. Austin Shane. Alex Friedman. And we are out. Out.